The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the news and advice you need to put yourself on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. And if you're one of those folks who waits until the last minute before you sign up for seminars and conventions, it is in fact the last minute. It is your very last chance to go to wmkvfm.org and get signed up for the 2012 OREA National New Strategy Summit. Over 600 investors, landlords, wholesalers, retailers, and note buyers from all over the country have already registered for this great event, which is happening next week here in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can get more details and you can register with a pledge to WMKV at WMKVFM.org. I look forward to seeing you there, as do our 17 expert speakers from all over the country and those 631 so far people that are there to network with you, talk about their successes and how you all might get together and maybe do things. Maybe you'll find your next real estate agent there or your next IRA administrator or your insurance agent or somebody to partner with or or be in a mastermind group with. It's a great event. And it's great that you can sign up through WMKV and support public radio. Again, that's WMKVFM.org. This is your very last chance as uh, pre-registration ends in just two days. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati has its first meeting for the month of November tomorrow. The early meeting is about uh, how to negotiate a deal a week with Mr. Drew. Uh, He is going to talk about negotiation strategies that he uses to be comfortable in telling sellers that they can only get half what they want for their property or that they need to accept weird terms like no interest loans. That's the early meeting at six o'clock at seven thirty. The main meeting is Halloween horror stories. It's a compilation of, uh, of, uh, stories from folks who've had issues in their various real estate dealings and how they turned those lemons into lemonade. That'll be a fun meeting and uh, very instructive because, of course, we learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes. That's the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati tomorrow, Thursday night, November the 1st. And you can get more information at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com or at 859-292-7342. 
Today is question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate Investing, as it is most of the time when it's the last Wednesday of the month, which means there is no show without your questions. You can call them in to 877-772-9658 for fastest service, or you can email them to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K. V like in Victor, E-N-A, at gmail.com. I'm uh, going to catch up on some questions here that we've been gathering up through askvina.com over the course of the last few weeks since our last question and answer day. A uh, question from John in South Carolina. He says, what percentage of ownership does the but uh, does a bank require a homeowner to have in order to purchase a property during the first look period? Uh, for those of you who have no idea what the first look period is, it was something that we discussed briefly with Tony Youngs a few weeks ago. Uh, the first look program is a program that is participated in by uh, most of the larger banks in the country, where for some period of time, usually around two weeks, although in the case of HUD, it can be up to 30 days, uh, where only people who are going to live in the house or people who are nonprofits of various sorts can bid on those properties. So there's like a reserved period uh, with many bank REOs called First Look, where during that time, uh, you can't bid on them if you're not intending to live in them or you're not a housing nonprofit of some sort. Uh, the answer, John, and I did I did attempt to look this up to uh, confirm it, but it it appears that uh, they really want the owner occupant to have one hundred percent ownership in that property. I I understand if I understand the thrust of the question, it's because it it is could I partner with a homeowner uh, and uh, um, buy a property with them during the first look period. And the answer is no, it doesn't look that way. It does look as if maybe you could finance the deal for a homeowner during that period, but uh, they're not going to want your name on the deed. Uh, also, John, you should be aware that properties that I see come up in first look, uh, it, it's not that they're priced any more cheaply during that period of time. Uh, it's not that, the, that these folks are getting some kind of special deal that I can see. Uh, and most of the properties that I see that sell during first look are selling at close to what the asking price is. I, I'm just I'm just not seeing gigantic discounts coming through during that first look period. So it's not uh, it's not really, in my opinion, that you're missing anything out on anything by not being able to bid during first look. It's question and answer week on real life real estate investing, you can Call your questions in to 877-772-9658, or you can email them to askvina at gmail.com, as did uh, Angel from some identify unidentified place. Uh, it, when you're sending an email, if you could tell me where you're writing from, uh, that is sometimes helpful in the answering of the questions. I'm going to uh, try to summarize this question because it is fairly lengthy. Uh, it is basically a question about how to get a uh, refund on very expensive educational programs. Um, Angel apparently bought uh, two, wow, 
eight classes at $3,500 a piece, it says, and uh, would like to get back the unused portion and is being given trouble by uh, the company that sold them because they are saying that she uh, voided her her guarantee uh, by not following some of the specifics in the guarantee. And Angel, I'm certainly not here to give you legal advice. Uh, You're not the first person who has asked this question of me or uh, anyone else who has ever been involved in a real estate association of any type. Um, Obviously, step one for everybody is before you sign one of those agreements to shell out a five-figure amount of money, read the fine print. Uh, The fine print that you reference here uh, is particularly fine. Uh, It had to do with uh, Angel's um, consistency of activity if she didn't do things on a, in a certain time period and do them repeatedly, uh, the, um, the, the guarantee was voided. So read that up front. I know it's too late for you, but, um, you know, everybody else read that up front because there is often a lot of fine print with these programs, uh, request the guarantee or request the, uh, the, the refund. Um, even even when it, it does not appear that you would be due one under the fine print, it certainly doesn't hurt to call and say, I'm really unhappy and I want this refunded or um, I need to take this to arbitration or to court or to the attorney general or to whomever uh, is appropriate. And ultimately, you're going to have to decide whether or not to um, to go ahead and take that step. I mean, obviously, the... Um, the final step over money that you are unhappy with um, having spent is always going to be to go to court. Although as in this case, many times the contract demands arbitration. Uh, The question then becomes, is it going to be more expensive for me to do that than it is just to uh, continue with the classes that I'm not happy with and, or uh, just forget about it. But you would need to talk to your local, local counsel about that. Uh, Generally, the amount of money that you feel like is unused here is going to exceed what you could file for in small claims court. And that's usually the cheapest way to go. So uh, talk to your lawyer, find out if it's going to be more expensive to try and get the money back than it is than the money that you're going to get back. And of course, um, in the future, make sure that you understand what you're getting into first, because as you stated, Angel, there is a lot of education available, and it is not all that expensive. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. We are uh, getting ready to go to break, but if you have questions of any sort, whether it be about management or maintenance or financing or finding deals or whatever strategy, you can give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It is question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, which means if you have questions of any sort, I will at least attempt to answer them. You can send them via email to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V, like in Victor, E-N-A, 
at gmail.com or you can call at 877-772-9658. And do remember to tell us where you are writing from because uh, it does help. For instance, Mike just sent an email saying, from Central Ohio, how do you find title companies that know how to do a double closing? And the fact, Michael, that you were able to tell me that you were in Central Ohio gives me the exact answer to your question, which is double closings in the sense in which I believe you are referring to them are illegal in Ohio. Uh, every once in a while, I'll hear about a title company who's still out there doing it. But Ohio has what is called a good funds law which means that the money for the first purchase in the double closing has to come from a source other than the person who is funding the second closing in a double closing. So the idea of bringing your buyer into the transaction, having him deposit the money to the title company, having the title company use that money for the seller to sell the property to you so that you can then sell it to the buyer uh, is no longer illegal or is no longer legal in the state of Ohio. So you're going to need to look at something like transactional funding, private funding. It's it's not illegal to flip properties. It's just illegal uh, for the title company to knowingly take the end buyer's money to close the deal for you, which is the standard definition of a double closing. Thank you very much for your question, Michael, and thanks for telling me where you are writing from. A question from Jason. This is a marketing question, and if I could actually get the thing to expand, there we are. Uh, Jason says, just started using lumpy mail to expired property owners. Okay, I'm going to assume that you mean owners of expired properties that have expired listings, not property owners who died. Although, you know, probate can be a way to find deals. I'm The wording of this makes me think that you are writing to people who have ha- had their property on the market and the listing expired. Uh, I am putting refriger- uh, refrigerator magnets in the envelope with my letter. Good idea, bad idea, or spooky idea. <laughs> Halloween reference. That's good. Uh, well, Jason, um, First, let me talk a little bit about what lumpy mail is so that folks who may not have heard that term before understand what you and I are discussing here. Uh, The concept behind lumpy mail is to either add things to your letters that give them weight or lumpiness or to send things in unusual packaging. And when I say unusual packaging, I mean like bottles, coconuts, tiny trash cans, things like that. And the thought is that uh, not just that they will therefore get opened, but also, and this is important because most people don't get this part, also that it gives them something that they will keep. It gives the it gives the folks you're mailing to something that they will keep, either because it's interesting or it's useful. And of course, the reason you want them to keep it is because you are going to have your name, phone number, and message imprinted upon the refrigerator magnet or the tiny trash can or whatever it is that you are mailing. Now, Lumpy Mail, as you have probably discovered is a bit more expensive. It ranges from a little more expensive to a whole heck of a lot more expensive to produce and mail than normal mail. So generally, folks do 
lumpy mail mailings when the potential for the profit on the back end is fairly large because although people like lumpy mail they they giggle at it they do keep the things you get you get some um, you get some additional time in front of this potential seller by the fact that he sticks a refrigerator magnet on his refrigerator and it's got your name on it. Uh, it you wouldn't you wouldn't do a mailing like that to a list that you didn't already know the quality of. You wouldn't do a mailing like that if uh, you had some strategy that was going to make you like a thousand bucks per deal because the cost is, is enough more that it just wouldn't make sense. So that's lumpy mail. Uh, now your question about the refrigerator magnets of, of the less expensive ways to do things and refrigerator magnets are a less expensive way to do things. Uh, I think that's a really good one because people are apparently genetically incapable of throwing away magnets. Think about your refrigerator and think about how many magnets you have on that refrigerator that you don't even know where they came from. You don't, you've never used the company that sent it to you. You don't remember putting it up there and yet it will stay up there for years and years and years and years. So that's a, that's a much better idea than some I've seen. Um, I've, I've seen people who, uh, tried to be too clever by half by doing things like, uh, They'll write a letter and they'll staple, they get one of those individually wrapped lifesavers and staple it to the corner and the, the headline will say, uh, are you in foreclosure? Let me be your lifesaver. But uh, of course, the problem is, number one, those things get crushed into white powder in the post office's machines, which in our post 9-11 world, it's not a good thing. And secondly, that is not something that they can keep. It's it's clever. It does put a lump in the envelope that will get it opened, but it's not going to have that longer term um, re-impression for you. So I think in terms of the cheap ways to do things, that's a good cheap way to do things. I would just, I don't know where you're getting your expired property owners list, but I would, I would do a couple of, you know, postcard mailings to it first, just to make sure that it is a good list and you're not getting a lot of mail back because uh, I do know that those refrigerator magnets are not free. So thank you very much for your question, Jason. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. And uh, that means we're taking questions on, I don't know, whatever you want to talk about. If you want to call, the number is 877-772-9658. If you would like to send an email, the email address is askvena at gmail.com, A-S-K-V-E-N-A at gmail.com. Question from Derek in Detroit. Hi, Vina. If you were starting all over in this market and you had a shoestring budget, what is the first thing you would do to get leads? Also, with many bank-owned properties, how do you determine comparables and know what to offer on a property? Okay, well, question number one, I can answer in five seconds. Question number two is an hour and a half long class there, Darren. Um, <clears throat> If I lived in Detroit and I had a shoestring budget, I would go buy a house in Detroit. You, you, you know, you can you can buy houses in Detroit like for like a hundred dollars. I'm, I'm not I'm not lying. I'm not kidding. You know, tax sales, bulk sales. Um, seriously, there's properties in Detroit going from like a hundred to a thousand dollars, and I would try and find one that wasn't a 
a you know burned out shell in a war zone and i would probably turn around and sell that property on land contract for about i don't know $5000 with maybe $500 up front and monthly payments spread out over two or three years and at the end of two or three years the buyer can own it and that monthly payment that you would be bringing in would undoubtedly give you more money to market. Now, that's not very helpful to folks in the parts of the country where you cannot buy a house for $100 at a tax sale. So let me let me speak to them for a moment and say that if I were on a shoestring budget, the first thing that I would do to get leads in a in an area that wasn't Detroit or Akron or one of the cheaper markets in the United States is I would drive for dollars drive around and look for vacant, ugly properties. You can look up the owners in the tax rolls for free. You can send them a letter saying, hey, I'm interested in buying your house. And uh, the one thing that you know for sure about a vacant, ugly property is that it isn't doing anybody any good. It's costing money. It's not making money for whoever it is that owns it. So that would be the first thing I would do. Uh, how to determine comps and know what to offer on a property. That is a completely different question. Um, and I understand what you mean. It says your question was with so many bank owned properties, how do you determine comps? And, uh, the thrust of Derek's question there is presumably the bank owned properties that sold, uh, sold cheaper than quote market value and were not in good condition. And we're always looking when we're looking for, value for properties in after repair condition and there were whole zip codes in a lot of parts of the country where there has been no sales there been zero sales in the last six months year two years that were not either sheriff sales trustee sales bank owned properties short sales like there's no market sales in some of these areas those areas Darren tend to coincide with rental areas in the starter home neighborhoods. You are going to find comps that sold to homeowners in rental type areas. Uh, you're just not going to see a lot of fixed up properties selling if any at all. And so what you have to do is you have to back into the value of the property by figuring out what it will rent for, subtracting out the taxes, subtracting out the insurance, subtracting out the maintenance and vacancy, which is going to be about 20% of the gross rent, uh, subtracting out the amount of profit that your typical buyer is going to want to make, which on a single family home in the Midwest is going to be 150 bucks a month minimum. And that will leave you with how much would be left for a mortgage payment. You then get out a financial calculator or an Excel spreadsheet. You back that monthly mortgage payment into a mortgage. So you say, all right, if, I, if it was a 30-year loan at 8% interest and I could make this payment, how much of a mortgage would that support? That gives you a theoretical after-repaired value for the property. You subtract the repair costs. That gives you your sale price. So uh, yeah, I just try to do a whole bunch of math on the radio because you asked that question. And I know math on the radio is difficult. And I know you didn't get it written down, so you can always listen to the podcast later. If you go to wmkvfm.org, you can locate the podcast on iTunes and uh, get that written down. Thank you for your question, Darren. Appreciate that. And uh, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate. We're going to take a break. And afterwards, we will go back to answering questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. 
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and my guest today is you. It's question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate. You can send your questions in to askvina at gmail.com, which seems to be the most popular method today, or you can call them in at 877-772-9658. A couple of other uh, events that are coming up here in the region. Uh, the Greater Dayton Real Estate Investors Association has its first meeting of the month of November next Wednesday at the Sinclair Community College. The topic is Understanding Underwriting Regulations uh, with a couple of folks from Evolve Bank and Trust. You can get more information about that from gdria.com. And the Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs also meets next week on Tuesday evening. The early topic is uh, the administrator of the Columbus Land Bank is going to come and be uh, talking about the the uh, the situation that got them into being one of the largest private property holders in Columbus, Ohio, with 900 parcels of land and what they are doing with all those properties and how you can step in and make some offers if you'd like to. The main meeting is about uh, the foreclosure process and all the different ways in which you can make money during that process. You can get more information about that meeting at centralohioinvestors.com, centralohioinvestors.com. Uh, more questions coming in at askvina at gmail.com. A question from Brett, who doesn't say where he's from. Brett, 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 luckily. In the case of this question, uh, it doesn't really matter. He says, can you provide any insight on where to go to transition a traditional IRA or 401k to a self-directed IRA that can be used for real estate investment? Um, now, oh, I apologize, Brett. It says right at the bottom, Brett from Southeast Indiana. And here I am scolding him on the air for not putting his location in and it was I just had to put push those three little dots at the bottom of the email and it says exactly where it is um, well Brett uh, this being public radio we do not re make recommendations of particular companies or services or whatever um, I can tell you that there is a difference between a self-directed IRA, a truly self-directed IRA and a self-directed IRA that will let you invest in real estate type investments. Uh, a lot of companies now are advertising that they have self-directed IRAs. And what they mean by that is you get to pick from between our mutual funds that we have for sale and any stock that's on the stock market. And uh, you, you direct it in the sense of you tell us what traditional security to invest the property in. The, that is not what a real estate investor would call a self-directed IRA. What a real estate investor would call a self-directed IRA is one where the IRA custodian will allow you to invest in any investment that is not um, known by the IRS. Uh, and that would include real estate, gold, um, options, uh, you know, you, you, you've seen the whole list. So there are some true self-directed IRA companies that have popped up that are uh, very focused on investing in things like gold that wouldn't know how to do a real estate transaction in your IRA. And then there are quite a few out there that specialize in self-directed IRAs for real estate investors. And the best way to find out uh, about those companies and to find out 
specifically what people's experience has been with those companies because you will hear a you will hear a variety of experiences uh, is to go to your local real estate investors association. Uh, it won't take too much asking around to find somebody who's used one of these companies um, or come to OREA because uh, several of those companies will be there and they can explain to you more about how the IRA transactions actually work and also how to get your IRA converted over. Now, of course, in the uh, completely non-private world of technology, as soon as I opened your email, Brett, uh, a bunch of ads popped up on the right-hand side for truly self-directed IRAs. So I guess that's another thing. You can go look at the email you sent me and there will be some ads there, not that I have ever heard of or uh, am recommending any of those companies. Uh, let's see, what else? We have a lot of questions coming in via askvina at gmail.com. A question here from Henry asking for a recommendation on a credit service, but I can't, of course, give recommendations of any type to specific services. So, uh, Henry, I will simply uh, return your email. A question from Mike in Central Ohio for putting up bandit signs. How do we find out if a permit is needed? Well, I can tell you right now, Mike, uh, no permit is needed because no permit is possible. I have never found a city or locality in the United States where you could get a permit to put up bandit signs. They are... Um, pretty much against city code or county code or parish code wherever you go in the whole wide world, as far as I can tell. And you say, but what about this time of year? I see politician signs up all the time. Yeah, pay attention to where they are. You, you will mostly find that they are on private property of some type or another. And of course, uh, except in um, things like homeowners associations where they might... Um, not allow that. And I understand there's certain communities that don't allow that. You can always put up a bandit sign in your friend's front yard or your front yard or your rental property's front yard or um, whatever you like along those lines, as long as it is private property. Um, can I a lot of requests today for specific recommendations to specific things? And I'd like to once again remind listeners that uh, this is this is like a real radio show, okay? We had another one of those folks last week who thought it was a webinar, and they called the number and were listening th through the phone. We're actually like broadcasting out on the radio waves in here in Cincinnati. If you're listening to us online, it's thanks to WMKV's live streaming audio. And uh, in addition to that, this is a public radio station, which means we don't have commercials, endorse, promote, et cetera, et cetera. So the downside to you guys who want me to say, oh, go to ABC Credit Service is I can't do that. The upside is that also means that my guests can't get on th here and sell things. They have to actually give you information, which I really like. And I hope you do too. A uh, question from Will in New York, New York. Oh, Will, I... I hope you have your power on. I hope that's why I was able to get this question. I assume so. If you're listening to us on the uh, WMKVFM.org live streaming audio, uh, he says, Hi, Vina, love your show. It seems like whenever you have an investor on the show, they talk about seller financing. 
They make it seem it's easy to convince the seller to be the bank. I'm starting out as an investor. How do I convince them when I'm a new investor and I have no track record? Uh, well, Will, um, part of the message there that you might not have caught in your own uh, sort of hang up about, oh, but these are all experienced investors and people wouldn't do this with me, is that sellers don't really do creative deals based on your bona fides. They really do creative deals based on sheer trust and the fact that they had a problem and you came forward with a solution that they didn't even know about prior to talking to you. Um, it is extremely rare that a seller even goes so far as to ask you how you're going to make those payments or to uh, check you out online or to uh, ask for a credit report in in 23 years in this business, I have had exactly two sellers that have said during a creative finance negotiation, well, I should probably see a copy of your credit report, shouldn't I? And I will tell you that in neither one of those cases did the deal happen, and it wasn't because of my credit report. It was because the seller was actually hiding something about the transaction, like like, like uh, one example, um, they kind of forgot to mention the buried underground oil storage tank in the front yard of their single family home that was going to cost $25,000 to abate. And when I discovered it for myself, uh, all of a sudden the deal fell apart. They didn't want to talk to me anymore. So uh, yeah, that's uh, don't, don't get hung up on that idea of I'm a newbie, thus no one is going to be the bank for me. Uh, that is absolutely not true. Study your creative finance, learn how to do the things, learn how to set up the deals so that they not only work for the seller, but also, of course, work for you and just start talking to people. And you will be amazed that they just, they, you know, you say, hey, here's, here's a suggestion. Would this work for you? And they say, great. And their, their only concern is usually, how are we going to put this on paper so that I am protected? And if you know how to do that, uh, you will be golden. Don't don't talk yourself into the idea that you must be experienced or no seller will ever want to finance for you. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate. It is question and answer week. You can call in your questions to 877-772-9658 or you can email them to askvina at gmail.com. We're going to go to the phones now and talk to David in Maryland. David, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hello. Hi, David. How are you today? I'm good. More importantly, how are things up in Maryland? Maryland things are, are um, where I am, are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, another part of the state, they're pretty tough. Yeah. But uh, where I am, they're pretty good. Well, that's that's so, good. Thanks for asking. Um, I have a question. I bought a property subject to uh, back in 2007. And, of course, when the market crashed, uh, that you know everything got turned upside down. Mm-hmm. So I, I I'm, I'm trying to get the lender to do a principal reduction. They've offered me several modifications, but you know of course the modification is for a monthly payment modification, and I would like to do a principal reduction because what I would like to do is get rid of the property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, do you do you know if this loan happens to be at this point owned by Fannie Mae? It is, I don't think it is. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I guess I need to check that out. Yeah, that is that is a question to ask because uh, just just because the bank you are dealing with is not Fannie Mae 
does not mean it's not a Fannie Mae loan. Uh, most of those are serviced by a handful of banks whose name you would know. And uh, you're talking to Bank X, but really it's a Fannie Mae loan. And right. the reason that's important is Fannie Mae will positively not do principal reductions. Okay. You're, you're barking up the wrong tree. In fact, most of the big lenders don't want to do principal reductions on particularly first mortgages, except in the case of a short sale. So I, I think what you have done, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you've gone to them and you've said, reduce my principal so I can sell it. As a well, I did, Go ahead. I did, not tell them, I did not tell them what I was trying to do in terms of selling it. I, I just went to them seeking a principal reduction because right now the loan is, in, is going into default. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a problem property. I just can't seem to find the right tenants to go into the property. Mm-hmm. And um, of all the things that I've done, this is the, this is the Achilles heel. And I want to get rid of it. So. David, if we could all just give back every property we bought from 2003 to 2007, we would all do it. I mean, it, it, there's there, there's not an investor on the planet who doesn't regret properties that they bought from 03 to 07. So you are you are certainly not alone in that uh, particular situation. But um, I I'm gathering here, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're looking for a principal reduction so that you can sell it, so that you can t- actually take money out of the sale of the transaction. Is that correct? Actually, no. Um, I don't. If, if I broke even, I'd be fine with. It. Okay. Because the bottom line, I just want to make sure that because I bought it subject to that the prior person's name is cleared and, and you know, they're taken care of and, and um, you know, we can walk away from it. That would be fine. Okay. Uh, then w- you don't want to have a conversation with them about principal reduction. You want to have a conversation with them where you call them and you say, look, I'm putting this thing on the market. I'm going to take the, the best offer I get and then we're going to talk about a short sale. Because those are the circumstances under which you're going to get that principal reduction that you are looking for. Now, you you mentioned the seller, uh, and, and by the way, they won't they won't they won't look at it. They won't tell you what they'll take for a short sale generally, unless you have an offer on the table. Right. So just go go ahead and list it. Uh, you can warn the bank ahead of time. And I'm, I'm putting it on the market. I will start it at what I owe, but I'm going to aggressively drop until I get an offer. And then we'll talk short sale. Okay. Okay. Now, you mentioned that you had talked, uh, that, that uh, you were concerned about the seller, and I applaud that because, uh, obviously, it's not, it's not your credit in this situation that is getting um, messed with. It is the seller's credit. Have you actually spoken to the seller? Yes. Seller is very much aware of what's going on. Okay. And have you, op- have you offered the seller the option of just taking the property back? Absolutely, and because of medical reasons, they came. Okay, well, you you are on top of it, David, because mo- most folks uh, who who are in the situation, and again, let me tell you, there are a lot, go dark on the seller, like they don't want to they don't want to call them up and tell them what's going on and and explore the options because they just keep hoping that something will happen. And uh, again, I applaud you for being in communication with the seller and giving them all of the options that they had available. And since they have said we don't we don't want to take the property back and try and sell it ourselves or rent it ourselves or whatever, um, I think the thing to do is get yourself a good aggressive agent who is 
familiar with short sales because there, as you are very well aware, there are some laws in Maryland regarding short sales that uh, we don't want to we don't want to tread on those because the the penalties are pretty big. And uh, let them list it and proceed with the short sale when you get an offer. Okay. Can I ask one more question? Sure. Are you aware, I think I'm correct, but I'm not sure that uh, there's a, the current law across the country states that if the uh, short sale happens before December 31st, that the servicer or the lender will not uh, issue a 1099. Is that correct? Well, it's not that they won't issue a 1099. It's that you don't have to pay taxes on the 1099 um, under certain circumstances. And whether or not your seller would fall under that law, I think, is going to depend on whether on how long they've been out of the house. You said they've been out since at least 2007. Yes. Okay. This could then fall into the category of being a um, an investment property even though they're not making any money on it and don't in fact own it you need you, you need to have them talk to their tax professional because in theory they they sold it in 2007 even though the loan is still in their name they did sell it in 2007 and um, at this point, if they did a short sale, their tax professional might argue that they actually had a loss here and therefore uh, the debt forgiveness. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to have them talk to their tax professional. That is a that is a complicated question. Now, there has been another law in place for a quite a long time uh, that, again, their tax professional will know about that says if they were insolvent i'm not talking about bankrupt i'm talking about insolvent at the time of the quote debt forgiveness uh some or all of that debt forgiveness can be can be not you get the 1099 but you don't have to pay taxes on it again so i think they have a couple of options here even if even if you can't get it sold by december 31st which obviously you know that could be an issue um, okay. They they have another they have another uh, piece of the tax code that they can go look at and see if they can't uh, wipe out any of that debt forgiveness. And there's always the question of is the bank even going to issue a 1099 because a lot of them don't. You can try and make it part of the short sale agreement that they will not issue a 1099. Um, there's all sorts of options here for uh, continuing to protect that seller. And we'll also see if that law gets extended past December 31st because it's a it's a pretty good law in light of the fact that there's a lot of people out there who borrowed $400,000 on their house six years ago and now have a house that's worth 200000 and the idea of having to pay $200,000 uh, pay on $2,000 of debt forgiveness um, on equity that has evaporated mm-hmm. is kind of silly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much for your call, David. Appreciate that. Um, it's Real Life Real Estate. It's question and answer week. We've got uh, about five minutes left, so uh, we're going to go back here and answer some more questions that came in via email. This one is from Paul in Greenville, South Carolina. He says, you often ask for show ideas, so here is my suggestion for a case study. I've often pondered this question and would love to hear you discussing it with a guest or two. If you have 50000 cash... Would you buy a $30,000 house and rehab it to rent, thus owning it free and clear? 
Or would you buy a $30,000 or $300,000 multifamily, financing it with 10% down, assuming that the rent roll is the same ratio for both properties? I'd just be interested in hearing the pros and cons. And uh, maybe you would have two shows with two different guests supporting each position. Happy 22nd birthday. I know you will miss being 21. Yes, I miss 21, but it's so far in the rearview mirror. I can't hardly visualize it anymore, but thank you, Paul. Um, yeah, I think that's a great idea for a show. We can get a, a person who is an apartment type um, investor and a person who is a single family rental type investor and get them to debate that question and all the pros and cons of it, because uh, you may have noticed that folks are very passionate about their particular set of strategies. And it doesn't matter if they're gurus with courses or the guy sitting next to you at your local RIA meeting. They, they, you can get into lengthy debates and everybody believes they are 100% right that the strategy they're, they're using is the absolute best one. And they are probably right that it is the best one for them. So uh, yeah, I think that would be fun, Paul, and we should uh, definitely schedule that in the near future. A uh, quick question from Emmett in Bridgetown, New Jersey. Hope you're doing okay up there, Emmett. Uh, this question actually came in about a month ago. He says, "I own a property with my ex-girlfriend, and we would like, and I would like to refinance in my name only. We're both on the deed. How would I go about doing this?" Well, um, I guess question number one, Emmett, not to be flip, is. Um, is this an issue today or is there just going to be an insurance settlement on your property? Uh, but if uh, you happen to be inland enough in New Jersey that this is still a question, uh, what's going to need to happen is that your ex-girlfriend and you are going to need to sell the property to you or she's going to have to give you a quit claim deed before you can refinance. You're not going to be able to refinance that property with her name still on it without her being on the loan application. Thank you very much for your question and good luck there, Emmett. Uh, thanks to all the folks who called and wrote in with questions today. And don't forget, this is your very last chance to go to WMKVFM.org. Sign up for the 2012 OREA National News Strategy Summit coming up in just a little bit over a week. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.